check out Nextra, the yeah, new listen, podcast? Did you, what Any feedback that you want to send my way would yeah. be much appreciated. Um, did you do the mix or did Nate do that? Nate did the mix. That's, that's the all. only problem I had with it. That's all Nathan. And we, like I said, we're, we're going to make some tweaks. Matter of fact, I've already re-recorded some of that stuff and sent it to him, and it's going to be reworked. But. So what's the deal? Nate, um, I, I was going through a devotional uh, by Rick Warren, and a lot of the stuff that I was reading um, kind of coincided with stuff that was happening in, in church with some, some of the messages that were preached, um, especially with Brother Buster whenever he was here. And so I just sent that as a as an email to some of the folks, uh, and Nate said, "Hey, this is good material. Why don't we do like a little extra podcast? We'll call it Nextra." And I was like, "Oh, that's clever. I like that." So we did it. Uh, I think it was a little little too long. Um, needed to be probably about five to eight minutes instead of the twelve minutes that it was. So a little bit too much content. So we're going to go back and rework it. But I'm, I'm serious. If you guys would go and listen to it and send us some feedback. Uh, you can shoot me an email or a text um, if if you need that. I can provide it for you. But it's on would, the church website. It's on the church. The first one's on church website, but that was just kind of a it was a rough draft that we put out there for some feedback, and and we're going to rework it. But anyway, um, before we begin today, I, I want to pray uh, this um, this particular lesson of the four G's has um, been especially meaningful to me. This past week, and um, I just want to pray before we take off. So, uh, y'all pray with me. Lord, I thank you for being so gracious. You give me things that I do not deserve. And it's not because uh, I can't earn it. I, I can't work hard enough. I cannot produce enough. <clears throat> I can't accomplish enough to in any way merit or deserve what you give me. I'm so thankful today that you do not run a production-based economy in your kingdom, but it just runs off of grace. It runs off of love. It runs off of mercy. And I need that, Jesus. Jason needs that. And I just want to thank you for it today. And I pray that as we get into this material today, Lord, as we explore what it means that you are full of grace, that you would speak to us each individually in ways that we know and understand as being you. And put it in terms that we can um, not just understand it, but implement it. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Uh, four weeks ago, we started this series, The Four G's. Once again, that material comes from a book called You Can Change by Tim Chester. Some of you have come to me and expressed, hey, this is really interesting. I want to check it out. Please do. The book is awesome. It will get all up in your business. But just keep in mind that The Four G's is a small section of one chapter. So the whole book does not deal with The Four G's. It is very wide in its scope. Um, but anyway, this 4G material, this tool for examining and rooting out the stuff that's kicking around in our, our hearts, stuff we know we should, that shouldn't be there, sin, negative emotions, stuff that we aren't even aware of that's hidden layers deep but is still driving our behavior, 
That's what the four G's is pointed at. And so far, we've completed an introduction to the four G's, and last week we finished uh, the, the first of the four G's. God is, God is good. Very good. Yes, God is good. And today we'll start unpacking the second one, God is gracious. Before we do that, let's run through a very quick review of where we've been so far. Belief governs behavior. Thank you. When our head, what we know, and our heart, what we believe, aren't on the same page whenever they're not in harmony, we call that what? Spiritual dissonance. Excellent. Yes, I am. I have hope today because people are able to fill in the blanks. Great. If we have a low or a flawed view of God, it's going to empower our bad habits. It's going to drive us toward that spiritual dissonance. It's going to make us feel like a hypocrite, make us want to quit. And that's why the four G's are important because they give us a higher, better perspective of God's nature and what that nature means for us in our day-to-day lives. Number four, all sin, every bad habit, every negative emotion, everything in our lives that we know is inconsistent with Scripture, that we want to change is a result of believing a lie about God. And we want to expose those lies, expose that hidden operating system, see it for what it is, and change it. So last week, the first G, God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for my satisfaction. Yes. Just some key points from last week. God has this established pattern. He established a pattern early on of creating a need and then doing what? Fulfilling it. He meets that need. So that led us to the idea that whatever sin offers us, whatever that bad habit offers us, whatever that negative emotion offers us, God fulfills first in Himself. You don't have to go to that sin. You don't have to go to that rebellious behavior. You don't have to go to that negative emotion to get that fulfillment. It's in me first. There's a need in you, yes, but you're trying to fulfill it the wrong way. You need to search for that need fulfillment in me. We're all the kid in Walmart or the grocery store crying out for trinkets that we desperately crave, that we think will satisfy us, even though they may bring some momentary fulfillment or momentary satisfaction, our Heavenly Father is our source of real and eternal joy. Where we left off last week was with this question, what are you saying right now to, this, to, to answer this? When I have blank, then everything will be okay. And I use the word okay instead of happy. Some people use the word happy, but I use the word okay because okay, it, it, it conveys a sense of rightness. Every, everything is right with me. Everything is as it should be. So that's why we use the word okay. So whatever you put there, when I have blank, then everything will be okay. Whatever you put in that blank, that's your God. So what has your heart been saying about God? And I, I, I know I talked to at least one person this past week that said, man, I, I've really been, I've been thinking about that. I've been engaging that question. It, it's uncomfortable sometimes. Um, can anybody, anybody here willing uh, today to say, that so far this material, the four G's, has caused you to look at some things differently? Yes, I see some, I see some nodded heads and, and some raised hands. 
anybody, and this is, we're going to make this as unthreatening as possible because I believe me, I know this 4G material, it, it makes us uncomfortable. Anybody willing to share how this has kind of changed your perspective or forced you to look at things a little bit? I say forced, but okay, forced you to look at some things differently. Jason, I know I've been looking at some things differently. I've been examining them in a different way. Anybody willing to say how? What is it that you're looking at differently? No. Okay. Awesome. We'll keep rolling. We want to uh, we want to get at this is the whole purpose of doing this, guys. It, we want to get at those hidden beliefs. That virus operating system that's that's operating beneath the surface, surface and driving our behavior, we want to get at that. We want to expose that, not necessarily in here. We will put it in your brain, and then and Jesus can dig it up later on during the week. But exposing that stuff, can, it can be uncomfortable at times. So, you know, I'm not just devastated by the fact that nobody really wants to share about that. Um, I'm just going to trust that you are engaging it. So today, the second of the four G's, God is gracious. So I don't have to prove myself, Brian. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to prove myself to you. I don't have to prove myself to myself. I don't have to prove myself to God. God is gracious. And whenever we say gracious, we mean He is full of grace. God is kind. He is pleasant. He is merciful. He is compassionate. He alone does what is good, what is right, what is perfect. And right there already, I've said a mouthful. Think about the implications of that. When we say that God is gracious, we're saying something slightly different than we would in describing just the, you know, well, they're a gracious, they're a gracious person, they're a nice person. This is different. In this context, grace means getting what we do not deserve. Grace means getting what we do not deserve. At its root, grace, in its simplest meaning in the Bible, is gift. Gift. Not wage. Not salary. Not, not reward, Steve. It's, it's gift. Okay, and we, we get into this we we get into this trap of of thinking like, well, man, I, I've been really good this week. I've I've gotten up early every day this week and prayed, and and I, I man, I even fasted a couple days this week. I, I've I've done my part. I've done my part to earn some goodness this week. I've I've pulled my weight. I didn't do it so good last week, but this week, come on. Right? Okay, I'm the only one that feels that way. It's not wage. It's not salary. It's not reward. It's gift. And gifts are freely given because the gift giver has a desire to bless and demonstrate love. You give a gift to someone. Hopefully there's not all of this weird ulterior motive stuff working there. I, I'm going to embarrass my friend Brian. He, he gave me a gift a while back. He gave me this, he gave me this journal. 
completely unsolicited, didn't know it was coming. Hey, man, we were in New Orleans at this place. I, I saw this. I thought of you. Just, just wanted to bless me. Just, just wanted to show, man, you're, you're my friend. No weird ulterior motive thing working there. The gift giver wants to give the gift. It is, it's a desire motivated by, by love, by compassion, by a desire to bless. <coughs> a gift cannot be earned. Otherwise, it's not a gift. We, we struggle with that. We need to understand this first. God is gracious. He is gracious. He is the gift giver. His very nature, His very disposition is not out of obligation. It's not out of debt. It's not out of duty. It's not out of have to. It's out of want to. I want to give you. I want to gift you. I want to do that. The same way you want to Give to those that you care about and love. Only to like the bajillionth power because He's God. It's out of His very nature and makeup because God is love. He doesn't, and this was revelatory to me, he doesn't, God doesn't just love. Now that, that, that's great in and of itself that God loved. But He is love. He Love doesn't exist without Him. He defines love. Love finds its definition in God. It's important that, that we make those distinctions and nail that kind of thing down because we've got to have the right picture of God that is His true nature instead of the things that we project onto Him that are so often inaccurate. So let's see what the Bible says. This will be the only... Only scripture that I give you today, we'll do some more next week. But Psalms 85 and 15 in the message, it says, But you, O God, are both tender and kind, not easily angered. There's more to this verse we'll get to in a second. Did you catch that? Not either. God's not always ticked off. That right there, that, that's messing with somebody's theology already. Jason, don't you read the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And it makes me ask the question, okay, God is love. He's not easily angered, so what must be going on for Him to be that upset? Now we're starting to get it. I call it good theology, that God isn't easy to anger. God doesn't have a temper problem. God doesn't need therapy. <laughs> God doesn't need the book you can change by Tim Chester. Yet we see, it's in there, He is furious at times. I mean, just smoldering. So how bad must it be? And it, if, this is a, if this is the case about God, that He's not easily angered, that He's compassionate, then we start to have to, have to ask that question. What's, what is it that's got you so upset, God, and, and so upset that often? And we start to realize, you know, whoa, I might not be the hero of the story. I might not be the good guy here. The uni <laughs> My universe has shifted 
What's so invisible to us is how often we place ourselves on such a high and lofty pedestal in our own minds and we, we denigrate God to a level that's inferior to us because we make ourselves the hero of our own story. Well, guess what, Brad Pitt? You're, you're, not, you're not the good guy in this story. Guess what, Jennifer Aniston? You, you're not the heroine in this tale. God is. It, that is. it is the first sin of all sins. It's pride. It's pride. It's about devaluing God and, and overvaluing self. It's the same, here we go again, you know, like, oh my God, please get out of the Garden of Eden. But it's the same act at the tree. It's about elevating man, lowering God. It's about replacing God with self. I don't need God to tell me what's, what's good and what's bad. I don't need God to discern for me between good and evil. I do that myself. Pride. Pride. I'll do a better job of deciding what's good for me and what's bad for me than God will. Every sin, guys, at its core, every sin is about replacing God with, with self. Jason, I, I've, got, I've got needs. You don't, you don't understand where I've come from in my life. I've got all these Yeah, you do. But you know what? As we talked about last week, God's designed it so that He can fill those needs. Come on, He shaped you. He formed you. He knows how you're wired. He knows what you need. Let me ask you something. The, we'll go back to this whole, you know, I, I've got needs. I, I, I need to be able to do these. How's yourself done so far? What, what's your track record of success? How's your professional supplier of all needs portfolio looking? Is it stellar? Is it perfect? Or have you made a mess from time to time? Yeah, well, you know what? God is perfect. And His portfolio is stellar. <laughs> so, there. God's record is perfect. So, let me, let me get back to the Bible. Psalms 85 and 15. But you, O God, are both tender and kind. You're not easily angered, immense in love, and you never... Never quit. Let's get these definitions. Judgment is getting what you deserve. Judgment is getting what you deserve. Judgment is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. These three, three things are very different, we, and we need to be clear. Well, why? The, the question, what do we deserve from God? What do we? What do we deserve from God? Now, you, you got... I want to be real careful here because there's, there's two ends of the spectrum here. There's one end of the spectrum that says... Mm -hmm. I do all right, Coop. I don't know about you, but I mean, 
I do okay. I mean, I, I hold down a job. I mean, got a family. I'm not out killing people. Uh, you know, I've avoided most of the major sins today so far. I'm doing okay. All right, and, and then you got the other side that's like, I don't deserve anything. I deserve, I deserve, this is what I deserve. I deserve this right here. Careful, because all of that, whichever spectrum, end of the spectrum you're on, that's all little hidden gerbils and hamsters running around in there, ticking around inside your heart, driving your thought processes and driving your behavior. That, that's all hidden beliefs. What do you really deserve? This is what it means, guys, to be a Christian and to be a follower of Jesus Christ, unearthing and excavating. Brian, there you go. Though those hidden beliefs about your own value, your own merit. Now, what's coming next is not meant to. It's not meant to to denigrate anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody feel like a dog. Understand this, if you, if you never did anything of merit in your entire life, you would still have value simply based on who and what you are shaped like. Because the Bible says that you were formed in the image of God. So you've got value to Him. Why? Because you look like Him. You are patterned after Jesus Christ. And therefore, you have value intrinsically. You've got value. But let's get real. What do I deserve? What do you deserve? Based on my behavior. Based on my actions. Based on your behavior. Based on your actions. There's a... I'm going to digress majorly here in just a minute. I'm warning you, it's coming. But let me answer this question. What do we deserve? Let's look at what the Bible has to say about what we, have, what we deserve. Because of our sin, Isaiah 53 and 6, Romans 3 and 23, which is rebellion against God, Romans 5 and 10, we deserve death, Romans 6 and 23, from the God of justice, Isaiah 30 and 18. This is what we deserve from God. We deserve to die. Can't make it cute. Can't make it funny. Can't wink, nudge, nudge, and smile. That's it. That's what the Bible says. That's why I'm telling you. I'm not trying to demean anybody. You've got value, but the Bible's plain. It's what we deserve, and I'll use this word in a cosmic sense. It's what we deserve. It's death. And guess what? <laughs> Unless Jesus comes back, all of us are going to get it. Can I ask a question? And I hate, I really don't like doing this. Because I feel like I'm always trying to derail <laughs> class. Derail away. But when does one start deserving death? What do you mean? And I'm not saying that the Bible is wrong. I'm just asking a question. I'm just a guy in a room listening to it. When on earth does a, a person begin to deserve death? Because, you know, I didn't raise my hand in, in the cosmos and say, I want to go down there and try that. I just showed up. Okay. I've been trying to do my best, like, ever since whenever that is. So deserving death sounds so bad. <laughs> so, I mean, does Eli deserve death? He's nine. 
Did Jason deserve death like when he was two months? I mean, I just, that's, it's just a question. That's a great question, and I don't have a great answer. I didn't think you would. <laughs> Doesn't it go back to the whole born in sin, shaping in iniquity Yes. Yes, it, and I understand where Brian's coming from because at some point Brian wants to say, I'm going to deserve it whenever I've made a conscious thought or a conscious decision to do something that makes me deserving of that death. Yes? Am I? That's what deserving implies. Okay. It's based on an action. You deserve something. I have. Based on something. I have, I have thought something in my mind, entertained that thought to the point that it has put me in a place of unrighteousness, not rightness with God. So when does that happen? Does it, I mean, is it 24 months of age and, and that's it, you're done? The first time you tell your parents no? Is it the moment you are formed in the womb because you are flesh? Inherently, you deserve you deserve to die just because you were born, right? Just, well, not even born, because you were, I mean, if you're going to say born, you've got to go all the way back to conception, question. I, and it's a great one. Research it and let me know what you find out. <laughs> I have a thought on it. Is, it. is it when you reach say an age of accountability but a time and place in life where you know that you're sinning, you're, you're actually doing the things that we were saying that's the reason you deserve death. So when, you, when you're doing sins you actually know it. Maybe. There's a lot of um, denominations, very large denominations, that are at serious odds with this question because the Protestants tend to go the route of this age of accountability. What's the fancy word they use for it? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, there are other faiths that say we're going to baptize you as soon as we can as an infant because you're not going to get to this magical age of accountability you're shaping in iniquity the minute you come out the womb. We need to get you taken care of and baptized. And then there's people everywhere in between. So it's, it's a great question. I can't tell you at what point I deserve it. I, doctrinally, with Scripture, I can't answer that question right now. Something to think about. Anything else I give you would be personal opinion. But since we're already digressing, this would be a great moment. I warned you, here it comes. We live in this, this finite, everyday framework. And, and it, it kind of ties in with Brian's question. Because we use other humans as our basis of how we're doing. It, to the point that it's, it's like tattooed and engraved on our souls the way that we assess value and, and progress and success. And God is screaming at us, don't do that. Stop doing that. If you compare yourselves among yourselves, you are unwise. Come to me. Come to me. Who Number one, I represent the source of all life, but watch this. It's not just as simple as compare yourself to me because realistically, how can we do that? He's God. It, how do we... But in God, He not only represents our Father, but He represents the fullness of our potential. And I compare myself to the wrong people or compare myself to the right people. Either way, I'm comparing myself 
to, to people and never live up to the God calling that's in my life, never live up to the God potential that He wired me for and designed me for, that He placed inside me. So the Lord says, stop all of this. Stop all this distraction and how you're limiting yourself by comparing yourself to somebody else. And you're making yourself proud because you're trying to prove yourselves among yourselves. Well, I mean, that's what the Pharisees did. I mean, at least I'm not like that guy. And I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not... Come to me. I'm, I'm going to free you. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to deflate your ego because, you know, I'm God and I'm awesome. But I'm, I am the source. I am good. And everything I do is perfect. Everything I do is right. And this, you know what else we do? This is the next thing we do. We try to disprove the existence of God or we cry, try to create a lower version of His nature by using human morality. I'm still, I'm still digressing. I know it. Stay with me. It, it ties in, I promise. And we, and by we, I mean people... We try to disprove God's existence completely or try to make sense of the events going on around us by creating this less powerful or less perfect or less interested God by using our own sense of morality, our own sense of what's right and what's wrong. There's no better way to say this and give you an example of Ravi Zacharias. How many of y'all have heard of him? Read anything by him, heard him? He's an Indian-born apologist, got a powerful story of how he converted to Christianity, um, writes some pretty deep and awesome stuff, very educated. He was giving a lecture and someone jumped up, interrupted his lecture, they screamed out, there can't be a God, there's too much evil in the world. And Ravi Zachariah, he paused for a minute and uh, he looked at this guy that had jumped up and screamed and got the whole audience's attention and he said, you don't believe that. Yes, I do. How, how dare you tell me what, what I believe? Or have you said, okay, please restate your position for the audience since you now have everyone's attention. There's too much evil in the world, therefore there cannot be a God. He said, okay. So by affirming evil, you are also affirming good. Okay? And by affirming good, you must also be affirming a moral law by which you differentiate between the two, between good and evil. Yeah, okay, I guess, I guess so. And Ravi said, there can be no moral law without a moral law giver. This is who you are trying to disprove and not prove. So if there is no moral law giver, there is no moral law and if there is no moral law, there is no good. And if there is no good, there is no evil. Therefore, sir, what is your question? And this, it's actually recorded this way. The guy said, I, what am I asking you? <laughs> and they, they, they talked later. But here's the point. This is the danger when we try to prove ourselves. I told you it was going to tie in. We're, we're getting there. We ate the fruit... We became the judge. At some point, we became deserving of death. 
And we became moral determiners at that point of what is good, what is evil. And we make an absolute mess of it. We're all about trying to decide for ourselves what's good, what's bad. It's encouraged culturally. Well, you, you do what you think is right. It's not my place to tell you what's right, what's wrong. You, you do it. It's encouraged via billions of dollars spent in marketing. You decide. You judge what's good for you. You deserve it. And God's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. That's my job. You're doing my job, and you're doing it wrong. That's my decision about what's good for you and what's bad for you. And watch this, and this is very powerful atheistic reasoning. God, I see you doing bad according to me. Therefore, you don't exist, or you're not who I thought you were. And what... What they're missing there is that you cannot judge God by any definition of what you call good or what you call bad. Any definition of what you're, you call a God by your morality, He isn't just doing good, He defines good. He is good. So if God does it, it's good. And some of you, you heavy thinkers out there are going, Jason, that's escapist. That's, that's circular reasoning. You're, you're, you're dodging the question. No, if, if you're going to allow a God, come on, if you're going to allow a God at all, that's what you've signed up for. God, whatever you do is good. And that's why some people don't. That's why they don't allow a God. Because they're not willing to sign on for that statement. What, what you do is good. We, whenever, we, whenever we sign up for that, okay, whenever we sign our name on the line, God, you're God and what you do is good, there's my signature, we are surrendering our own moralizing. It's not up to me anymore to say this is good, this is bad. And it's kind of funny because it's, it's really religious atheists imposing their morality on a so-called God and because God doesn't do good according to them, therefore God doesn't exist. And what's really funny is they don't want any moralizing whenever it comes to their behavior, but they want all kinds of moralizing whenever it comes to deciding whether or not there's a God. Well, there's evil in the world, so therefore there can't be a God, but don't tell me what's wrong and what's right. We, just, we need to get consistent. Here's the folly. We're, we're trying to do God's work without God. We're trying to be God instead of God. And we're, we're just not very good moralizers. We're not. We're not good at it. But God is. He is the moralizer. And remember what we know and what we're trying to believe about Him in our hearts. God is good. God is gracious. God wants to give us what we don't deserve. And that right there... It, it, that's hurting your morality. That it hurts your morality to say, God wants to give me what I don't deserve. Anybody else, your, your definition of morality is offended whenever people get away with 
something they don't deserve to, you get, I'll tell you right now, come on down to Livingston Paris and I'll tell you exactly how we're going to hurt. Ain't going to happen in my house. We get real quick on that trigger. Yes? And it works in a bad sense too. I mean, when bad things happen to us, why is this happening to me? I've been with those Sunday school kids for 10 years. They have bitten me. They have bruised me. Come on, Sarah. They have <laughs> torn the flesh from my bones. But I have been faithful. I tithe. I give my 10%. And God, you're going to let this happen to me? So the moment something you let something bad happen to you in your life and you start bringing up your resume to God, that's a really good invitation right there to start examining some hidden beliefs that are clicking around in your heart. Cuz that just that means you don't believe God is gracious. That means you don't believe that God is good. And that's why we don't feel fruitful in our in our walk with God. You got to fight that. It's going to come up it will come up. It's going to be, wait a minute, God, I, I did this. Wait a minute, God, I, I, did, I did that. You remember that one time whenever you said, and I actually listened and I heard you and I did it exactly, you remember that? Okay? I, I did everything just like the good little Sunday school teacher told me, and I'm not a millionaire. I'm not fill in the blank. What's your problem, God? Because I've done, I have done all of these good works and held up my end of the bargain and pulled my weight. So when are you going to start pulling your weight, God? When are you going to start rewarding me for all of this great stuff I've done? That is a messed up perspective of grace. We have convinced ourselves that people, especially ourselves, we're naturally good and we deserve God's favor more than we deserve His judgment. That's so much the case nowadays that we actually balk, many of us, at the idea of God actually punishing sin. We've got, we got things reversed. We've got them upside down. Grace should shock us. And you can run the other way with it too. You, you can have such a... Some of you that you're like me, you've struggled with, with image issues and self-confidence issues. You don't feel... You've never felt like you're good enough. You feel like you don't measure up. You can run the other way with it too. I, I can't believe that something like good would actually happen to me because I've my core message since I can remember has been you're not worth it, you don't deserve it, you're not good enough. So you can run with it either way. It doesn't matter. They're still both just equally messed up perspectives of grace. But let me... Grace, it should shock us. It should make... It should... Whew, what is it? Ethan just says all the Mind blown. It should. Let me illustrate it this way. The digression is over. Now I'm bringing it home. Oh. 
Come with me quickly to death row. We're going to take a quick field trip to death row. This is not a sometimes questionable justice like we often see in our country, you know, where somebody's been convicted and they're on death row and they don't really... Our justice system doesn't always get it right, but not here. Where we're, where we're going today, the justice is perfect. It's, it's always right. There's no question about the guilt of these inmates. In these cells are murderers, rapists, child molesters. These are the Adolf Hitlers, the Joseph Stalins. These are the, the Ted Bundys, Bin Laden, school shooters, human traffickers, members of ISIS that behead people and, and burn people. These people have committed atrocities to the level that they, they turn our stomach. That's who's in the cell. And the warden shows us around death row and he pauses in front of each cell and he says, this prisoner's name is whatever. This is what he did and this is how he's going to die and when he's going to die. And then he goes to the next cell. This is so-and-so. This is what she did. And this is how she's going to die. And this is when she's going to die. And the warden does this several times until unexpectedly he stops in front of one cell at random and pauses for a long time. Then he finally turns to an angelic guard and says, Guard, I want you to open this door. This man is free to go. Now keep in mind where we are and who the people are that are in these cells. What they've done. Open the door, you're free to go. How does it make you feel that someone who has committed heinous, evil, stomach-turning crimes, they don't get the full meeting out of their punishment? How does that make you feel? They're guilty. How does that make you feel? What I want you to under go ahead, Celeste. This is how shocking, it's, I use the word scandalous, this is how scandalous, how radical grace has to be. Because otherwise you don't get it. If they don't get it for theirs, I don't get it for mine.
You've got to allow that level, that severity of grace to really sink into your heart or you're not getting what's happened to every single one of us. You're not letting a true concept of grace get into your core and govern your behavior on a belief heart level. Grace is shocking. It's scandalous. It's radical. It's out there. We're going to pick up here next week. I'm, I'm, I'm late. God, thank you for being here today. Thank you for talking to us about your grace. Ooh, get this into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.